please remain standing. Uh, Dan is coming to read our scripture this morning. As, as Dan is coming to read our scripture this morning, I, I do want to point out just a couple of things that you probably already noticed. Uh, Lent is a different, kind of, uh, a different kind of season here in the life of our church. You can likely see that by the way that I'm dressed this morning. You know that I normally don't wear my robe, but I always do during the season of Lent. For many of us, we just kind of go throughout our lives. I think that there are times in the, season, in the year that, that we really need to, to set aside some time uh, for, to really focus on our, on our inward life. And that's what, that's what this season is all about. And so um, our, our worship is, is different. Our order of worship is different. Uh, the way that we approach worship is also different as well. It's, it's less, um, well, indeed there is joy, but it, it's, more, it's more inward looking. It's more introspective during this season of Lent. And so our, our, our sermon series this season, uh, we're going to be taking a fresh look at the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we've been saying that for, uh, for many of us, we have been saying that the Apostles' Creed since we were young children, but many of us have really never truly looked at the Apostles' Creed. And so today we're beginning a fresh and new look at the Apostles' Creed. Our scriptures this morning, there are going to be two of them. Uh, the first comes out of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And the second then comes out of uh, the first epistle of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Dan is here to read our scriptures for us this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of the truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves, who has been born of God and knows God, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life 
that we might be that we might be people of life. God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O God, our Redeemer. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I believe that the Thunder are going to win a playoff series this year. I, I, I believe... I believe Mike Gundy will likely not be the head football coach at Oklahoma State in three years. I, I believe, I believe in, in, in four years from now, there will be another unknown candidate that will be running for president and will, and will likely win. These are, these are just predictions, but I have other types of beliefs as well. I believe in hard work. I believe in loyalty and, and perseverance. I believe in family and faith. Or how about these words of, the, uh, of my favorite country artist, of my favorite song of my favorite country artist. I don't believe in superstars, organic food, or foreign cars. I don't believe the price of gold, the certainty of growing old, that, that right is right and left is wrong and north and south can't get along. That east is east and west is west. That being first is always best. But I believe in love, Don Williams says. <laughs> I believe in babies. I believe in mom and dad. And I believe in you, he writes. So what do you believe in? What do you believe in? It's, it's, it's easy to say what we believe or what we think about our favorite athletic teams. It's, it's common for us to have some thoughts on politics or, or what we saw on the news or, or in our modern culture. In fact, most of us are more than willing to share our beliefs on social media uh, five times a day or 10 times a day or maybe even 50 times a day following some of, uh, some of my fellow Christians. What, but what are your core beliefs? What are those things that are, that are so essential to who you are, you would say that they, are, they literally are core to your, very, to your very being? I might change my belief about Mike Gundy if OSU wins the Big 12 title next year and, and gets into a playoff. I, I might change my belief. I, I, will certainly, I will certainly change my belief about the Thunder uh, if Chris Paul goes down with an injury this season. But there are some beliefs that are so core to who I am, that I will not change those core beliefs no matter what. They are who I am. That literally, that literally is the definition really of a, of a core belief, of a belief. A belief is more than simply a cognitive assent that something is true or an acceptance that something is a fact or historically accurate. A belief is more than that. For, for example, I believe that the astronauts landed on the moon. I believe that they landed on the moon. I believe it's a historical fact. I also believe in E equals MC squared. Not that I know what that means, but I still, but I still believe it. Another, another definition of a, of a belief, it is, it is a confident trust of someone or in something. So when you believe in someone, you have, a, you have a confident trust in that person. When you are sick or hurt, it's, it's important that you believe in your doctor. 
It's important that you believe in your doctor. You need to trust and to have faith in your doctor's abilities as a physician. The, the first is simply a mental activity, meaning when, when we believe something is historically accurate, it's a mental activity. But the second definition, meaning that we put our trust in that fact, then that's more of an, of an action. It's more of, a, it's more of a lifestyle. So, for example, if, if, we, if we believe that our uh, if we believe in our doctor, well, then we will trust her to do what she says. And, 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 and we will see that if we, if we truly affirm the Apostles' Creed, if we believe, as the Apostles' Creed says, then our lives will, then our lives will be different. We will act differently if we truly believe what we say we believe in the Apostles' Creed. So what, 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 why, why is the Apostles' Creed important? So in, the, in, in, in traditional churches or in the mainline church, you find the Apostles' Creed is recited uh, most often in the Methodist Church, in the United Methodist Church, in the, in the Episcopal Church, in the Lutheran Church, in the Presbyterian Church, Disciples of Christ Church. Uh, in the mainline church, we almost always have some sort of creed, maybe not necessarily in the, in the Disciples of Christ Church. However, in the early church, there were a number of heresies popping up. There were a number of wrong beliefs that were popping up. Some, some early Christians said that Jesus was only a spirit, not really a human being. Jesus was kind of more of a ghost than he, than he was anything else. Others said that Jesus was merely a human who, 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 became, who became like a god. There were some who said Jesus' resurrection was simply a myth. Well, he was just simply resurrected in the disciples' minds and, 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 and thoughts. Others, uh, others debated uh, on the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Creed was written around the year 120, and it was written to combat those false theologies. The Apostles' Creed, although it's called the Apostles' Creed, was not written by the Apostles. It was not written by the apostles, but it reflects what the apostles ta taught. It contains uh, between 109 and 114 words, depending on the version that you use. There is a ecumenical version, and there is a traditional. There is a traditional version. It's a very brief summarization and a broad survey survey of apostolic doctrine. Of apostolic doctrine, it is trinitarian in that it affirms God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is not comprehensive, meaning that everything that you need to believe or everything that Christians believe are not found in the Apostles' Creed. However, however, everything it covers is vital to our Christian faith. And it is common among all Christians, or at least among um, at least among Christians for the first 1900 years of church history. It really has only been over the last 100 to 150 years that some aspects of the Apostles' Creed have been being denied by some Christians. And by the way, by the way, those that would deny parts of the Apostles' Creed are in a uh, minute minority when it comes to worldwide Christianity. So there are some churches, there are some churches who say that they are non-credal, meaning that they have no statement of faith other than the Bible. 
When the Reformation occurred in the 16th century, there were, uh, there, there were some who believed that the Reformers didn't go far enough. They tried to reform the Reformers. They believed that, that Calvin and Luther, and Luther did some really good work, but they didn't go, they didn't go far enough. These radical reformers believed that, that communion was, was only a symbol, not a means of God's grace. They rejected infant baptism. They rejected the creeds. They, ad they adopted a democratic form of local control over their churches. And they rejected anything, absolutely anything, that hinted of Roman Catholicism. No creed but the Bible is what many of these churches even say today. And I'm not arguing uh, uh, necessarily uh, against, that, uh, against that belief, but that's not necessarily our belief as United Methodists. No creed but the, but the Bible, and, and that works great for the most part. The, the problem, however, is that the, the Bible is so broad in its scope that its core teaching is, is sometimes difficult to explain briefly. And so that's why we have the Apostles' Creed. We, take the, the, we have taken the, the, the very core of our belief and we have condensed it down to a, to a few short statements, just over a hundred words. We've taken the entire, the entire Bible and we've condensed it down to about a hundred words and said, whatever else we are about, we are about these things. And we can all, we must all agree on those, on those three, uh, on, those, on those few things. A key phrase in the, in the book of Judges, although the, it was written over 3,000 years ago, it could have been written last week. In the book of Judges, it said, it's, it, in chapter 21, it says this, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Again, it was written over 3,000 years ago. It could have been written yesterday, yesterday about our day. It would be hard to find a more fitting description of modern American life. If you ask people on the street what they believe, you'll, be, you'll receive a bewildering array of answers. In fact, I suspect if you ask United Methodists in pews all across the United States what they believe, you would get a bewildering assortment of answers. Consider this quote from a 20-something backpacker in Boston when asked what he believed, this is what he said. He said, I don't know what I believe in and if I believe. I believe there's a, some sort of higher power, I think, but, but I don't know. Like right now, I'm at a point where I don't know what I believe, but I'm, but I'm open to everything. So I like to believe in everything because I don't know what, is, what it is I, I truly believe. This backpacker speaks for an entire generation, I think, who, who tends to believe in everything. And I, I think maybe more than just a generation, I think this backpack, pack, backpacker speaks for an entire culture. We don't know what we believe, and so, well, we believe in everything. And why not? When you don't know what you believe, well, then why not be open to everything? So as we begin our, our, our look at the Apostles' Creed, I, I, want us, I want us to first look at its very first assertions that we find in, in the Apostles' Creed. First, it says that God is almighty. I believe in an almighty God. Now, this is different than other ancient religions or even 
some modern religions. Some say that if there is a God, then that higher power must not have a whole lot of power because of all the evil that is in the world. It's as if this higher power is just simply like a watchmaker. He makes the watch, winds it up, and then watches it go on its own. But we as Christians believe that, that there is an almighty God, meaning an all-powerful God. In saying that God is almighty, we are saying somehow, mysteriously, God is in charge. Somehow, mysteriously, God is in charge. We don't understand it. We don't know how it happens. We don't know how it works. But when we say that we believe in an almighty God, it means that we're, we're affirming that God somehow mysteriously is in charge. Now, this, this certainly does not say that, that God causes everything to happen, but somehow mysteriously, God is in charge. God is almighty, and we must remember that when we are facing seemingly unsurmountable obstacles and decisions or tragedies. When we, face those, when we face those things in our lives, we must remember that God is almighty. God is all powerful. In the end, it's going to work out because God is almighty. God is almighty. Now, this should, should not instill in us a type of resignation that, well, we can't do anything about it. I mean, it's all predetermined and God's in charge of everything. He controls everything, so we don't really need to worry about anything. No, I, I, when we say that God is almighty, I believe that God is inviting us to, to, to partake of his grace and to, and to be involved with, uh, with, with, with doing his will here on earth. God indeed is, all, is almighty. I want to be on the side of an almighty, on the, on the, on the side of an almighty and the almighty God. Second, the, the creed affirms that, that, God is, that God is creating. Not just that God is a, a creator, but more appropriately, God is creating. Genesis chapter 1 that was read earlier affirms that God created the universe, all that is seen and unseen. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a fluke that, that, that creation came into being. It wasn't simply an accident that humans evolved from the molecular soup of early creation. It wasn't an accident. No, God was intentional in creation. And that's different. That's a different perspective than what the ancient religions of the ancient Near East would say, or even the modern religions of cynicism and doubt would say. No doubt, we have lots of questions. Why did God create rattlesnakes and mosquitoes and, and Brussels sprouts? I have no, no earthly idea. No idea. But God had some reason. But God is not only creator, God is creating. God is creating. Even today, God is creating and God most often... And, and most often, God uses you and, and, and me in, in creating in our, in our universe. Art and poetry, music, sciences, philosophies, medicines. God is using you and me to continue to create in our universe, to make a world a, a better place, to draw people to God. 
God is creating, and we must remember that when we are facing, again, seemingly insurmountable odds or obstacles or decisions or tragedies. God is creating. And God is using you and, and, and me and our neighbors and our leaders and our great thinkers to create new ways for God's glory and grace to appear in our world. When we say that we believe in a creator God, it means something. It means something. No problem or diagnosis or decision is too great for our creating God. And finally, this first section of the creed finally says that, that God is loving. It affirms that God is love. Now, now, it doesn't specifically say that, but it calls God Father. It calls God Father. The language has, this language has created uh, great distress among some people over, over the last, really, primarily over the last 40 years or so, it's created a significant amount of, of distress in our postmodern culture. Some say using masculine language about God says something about the nature of God, that, that God is a man, or, or, God, or, or we're comparing God to our, to our uh, earthly fathers. But that's a, and, and to be honest, that's a problem for many people. Those whose dads were less than honorable struggle to see God as father. And I would add to that, it's not just those who, who have been abused by men who struggle to see God as a man. I believe, I've come, I've come to the belief that all of us have daddy issues. All of us. Even those of us who had wonderful, loving, caring fathers, we all have some, we all have some baggage with our, with our daddy issues. And sometimes calling God, or calling God father creates in us some of those same issues. I mean, our, our, our dads, none of us were perfect. I'm standing here as a dad of two, and I know for certain um, my kids will be the very first two to say he was not a perfect dad. <laughs> yeah, Lawson's looking at me and smiling right now. But calling God Father isn't as much of a statement of who God is as it is a statement about our relationship with God. God is like our Father. God is like a perfect Father, and we are like His sons and daughters. God is like a loving Father, kind and loving, protecting and, and supporting, persistent and challenging us to be the kind of people that we have potential to be. God is loving, as the passage in 1 John says. In fact, it, got, it goes beyond saying God is loving, and it says God is love. The very nature of love is God, and the very nature of God is love. Did you get that? The very nature of love is God. And the very nature of God is love. God is love and is loving. And we must remember that when we, again, are facing seemingly insurmountable obstacles or decisions or tragedies. God is love. 
when we struggle to find or experience love, we can find that God is love and that love is in God's presence. When we are trying to find an example of, of love that, 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 that we can't seem to find in our own fathers, we can find that example in our loving Heavenly Father. No matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, we must always remember that God is love. When we choose hate over love or evil over goodness, we must remember that the very nature of God is love. What we believe makes a difference, dear friends. When we say that we believe in an almighty God, when we say that we believe in a creating God, when we say that we believe in a loving God, it must make a difference in our lives. People say sometimes that theology is not important. Oh, I think it is vitally important. Because what we believe changes the way we live. And maybe that's my challenge for you this morning. And maybe that's my question for you this morning. Does what you believe, has it truly changed the way that you live? Or do you believe, too, in some unknowable God? Something or someone up there that's wound up the clock and just watching it go? No, dear friends, we believe in an, in, in a, in an intimate, loving, caring compassionate God that is almighty, that is creating, that is love. Would you bow with me, please? Oh God, we thank you for these things that we believe in. And, and, and it's more than, than just a believing in our heads. And indeed, we must, we must believe it in our hearts. Some have, some have said the distance between heaven and hell is about, is about 12 inches. The distance between our, our mind and our heart. Many of us know it in our minds. Many of us have, 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 just, have just taken it as truth that you are, you are who you are but we've never truly taken it into our hearts. It's never made a difference in our lives. Oh God, come into our hearts. Today, when we, when we are saying that we believe in you, it's more than just a, an exercise of the mind. Indeed, it is it is the very core of who we are. God, we believe in you. Come into our hearts. Come into our lives, that our lives might be different because we believe in you. We believe that you are for us, not against us. We believe that you use us to, to carry out your will. We believe that we are your sons and daughters, adopted into your family. Come, Holy Father. Come, 
Almighty, Creator, who is loving us day after day after day. Come, Almighty Father. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.